and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Bibber, NFL editor for SB Nation. With me, as always, are Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. Awesome. Excellent. Um, well, I guess you guys have uh, recovered from your Thursday night Jets-Bills uh, red-green hangovers. <laughs> I'm just I, I'm just looking at the gif right now of the what it looks like for the people who have red green color blindness. I can can't even imagine that. It'd be crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess um, apparently neither one of you guys are red or green color blind. Otherwise, oh. talking about this game would be really difficult right now because it would have <laughs> just been a big blur of no contrasting players going against each other last night. <laughs> And if you're just like if you missed this last night, what happened was their new Thursday night jerseys, solid red pants and jerseys and everything for the Bills, solid green pants and jerseys and everything for the Jets, and about eight percent of Americans are red and green colorblind. And uh, for those folks, they couldn't really make out who was playing who because there was no contrast. If you see. I mean, it's the only way you can sort of explain it without looking at the video. But, like, if you Google the image, you'll definitely find it. But, uh, yeah, so it was just sort of a, a, a blob of gray versus a blob of gray. <laughs> it's crazy. That's a very accurate description. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not just Ryan Fitzpatrick's performance through the first three quarters either. <laughs> I, you know, I guess the thing to me that was mo- the most surprising thing was was that Jets defense has really fallen off a little bit from where it kind of was to start the season. What, I mean, you, you know, you guys watch that. And I know you've watched some you know, Jets games as the year's gone, as the season's gone along here. I'm going to start with you, Stephen. Why, what, what, why are the Jets defense struggling right now? It's not like, I mean, there's not really any major injuries, you know, that have like taken Daryl Rivas or anybody like that off the field, but... They're having a hard well, time. Well, they did. They did have a couple of injuries, um, but th- here's the thing: uh, Antonio Cromartie hasn't actually been playing well of late. Uh, I think it was the, the Raiders game. I'm thinking of he really got torched all game, and so him being out of the lineup, you almost can't really say for sure. Yeah, was a bad thing uh, last night, and I think one of the safeties. Um, the young safety prior, I think, is out too. Calvin, Calvin prior. prior, yeah, oh yeah, but yeah, but, but I, I think it comes down to you know they aren't getting the stops that you're used to them getting them getting uh, as a defense. You know, we, we 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 were expecting them to be dominant in the first few weeks of the season. They really were. Yeah. Uh, now uh, they're still getting plenty of pressure on third down and stuff, but. Teams are finding ways to convert. Like I say, uh, Cromartie just got absolutely torched a couple games ago. And then last night, uh, you know, and and it's not like uh, Sammy Watkins put up a huge statistical game, but he beat uh, Darrell Reeves several times. You know, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make catches on all those plays. Yeah. But but all night and went on one of the most important downs of the game when they really need to get the ball back for the offense. You know, they turn to Sam Watkins again. He gets the, the, the quick out for a first down at the end of the game. So, uh, you know, you know they, they just they aren't coming up in big spots anymore. Uh, and I, I, I really feel like it's the secondary, more so than anything, that's kind of letting them down. Yeah. And, and 
and then on the other side of the ball, and I don't think anybody has really expected, you know, just to, <clears throat> them to, for them to be the Patriots or anything like that. But the offensive performance has really kind of slacked off too a little bit. And I know in that Raiders game you had a quarterback issue, but you know, and Fitzpatrick was dealing with his thumb injury this week. But man, I mean, he was five for seventeen through the first half of that game, and that's. <clears throat> That's a rough outing. I know the Bills' defense is nothing to sneeze at either, but yeah, I mean, obviously the Bills' defense is really good. Doesn't help when you have like big plays, uh, you know, go back because Brandon Marshall drops a pass or and it gets intercepted. You know, things like that. Yeah, um, they've had some stuff like that happening too. So, but yeah, I mean that that uh, <laughs> that first half performance by Fitzgerald it was was really not so good. I mean, picked it up a little bit in the second half, but I don't... I mean, so you look at these teams, I mean, and all right, now the Jets and the Bills are at both at 5-3. and three. And I guess in the standings right now, the Bills have a little bit of an edge because they beat the Jets, so, you know, but they, they, that was the first, their first game of the year against each other. So we've got, you know, we still got half a season, basically, to kind of, to sort this out. But, uh, I mean, who's the, who's number two to the Patriots in that division, Danny, right now? When <laughs> I honestly have no idea. I, I think right now, I mean, especially after last night, you kind of just lean towards the Bills. I think they're maybe a little bit more balanced. Um, you know, their defense hasn't been as good as I thought they'd be. I'm looking at the the, F, the Football Outsiders DVOA rankings. Right now, the, or going into this week, uh, this isn't updated for after that game, but the Jets were ranked fourth on defense, and the Bills were ranked 16th. Where I, I thought, you know, I thought the Bills were going to have potentially the best defense in the NFL this year. Um, so it was a little, it's a little bit surprising that that they're not as good as I thought there. But on the other hand, they're a lot better on offense than I thought too, especially when they're healthy. You know, with Shady McCoy, Tyrod Taylor, you know, obviously Sammy Watkins. Um, so you know, I think maybe that makes up for it. And then Carlos Williams has been really good. I mean, he he set the record yesterday for most or he i think he had six six games and six or he said touchdown in every game he's played in so far and he's as a rookie so um you know i mean they, i think they're they're making up for some of the where they're slacking on defense with a, a lot better offense than i thought they'd be so um you know maybe they're more balanced but i really honestly they feel like they're neck and neck so but last night was a big win for the for the bills especially just because it was on the road yeah, and they lost Mario Williams for most of the game too. He had to leave for what was they said was an illness. Mm. That's that time of year where the flu bug starts to kind of go around and stuff like that too. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one thing about the Bills kind of that, that caught our eye earlier in the season. I know Stephen, you wrote a little bit about this. Was the some of the weird decision stuff that Rex was doing in terms of like you know having his defensive linemen drop into coverage versus you know rushing with the the front four he has and kind of reverting to those three four tendencies with four three players have you seen i mean do you, is that as noticeable anymore is that something maybe they've stopped over coaching themselves well I, you know we haven't had a chance to watch the film yet of this game and the only other game was the dolphins game last week which uh they they look more like themselves on defense but they still were using quite a bit of 3-4 alignments. Now, here's the deal. It makes a lot more sense now because Kyle Williams is out. Yeah. So you're down an offensive, uh, I'm sorry, a defensive lineman. And you can't really, you wouldn't really have that dominant front four 
like you would with him in there. So it makes more sense now. Um, but they're just playing better. You know, uh, Makari Rambo has a phenomenal game last night out of yeah. the blue. And so, uh, and of course, they kind of, you know, took the Dolphins to the woodshed too yeah. uh, a week ago. So it, it kind of looks like they're getting back to to playing well as a unit. Uh, but once Kyle Williams gets healthy, that's when you'll see, you know, kind of is Rex going to be stuck with this 3-4 mentality or is he going to be a little bit more flexible and let those four guys rush? Because I think that's what they do best. And I think as a defense, when he's healthy, when Kyle Williams is healthy and their whole front four is healthy, the best way to go is to wrestle with their front four. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a hell of a front four. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of defense in that division. You got, two, you got $200 million men on their, on, their, on their defensive line. I really didn't even think about it, hadn't thought about it until I actually wrote something about it. And I was like, wait, this team, because you always think about, like, you can only afford one hundred million dollar man on defense, right? Yeah. No, they got two, literally two hundred million dollar men on their defensive line, and Mario Williams and uh, uh, Darius, Mar- 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 Marcel Darius. So two hundred million that's dollar a lot men of are worth it too. Yeah, you know, and, and you can argue about Mario all you want to. He's gonna give you double digit sacks every year, though. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I want to. I, I did want to go back to something. This is kind of the the Broncos Colts game last week. I, I I think we all got burned on that pick. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see that one coming at all, to say the least. Do the Broncos? I mean, is it just sort of a? I mean, is it nothing to worry about for Denver, or is it just kind of a? You know, hey, they had an off day. This is sort of an any given Sunday kind of thing. I think defensively, they it was one of those ones where you don't overreact necessarily to it yet. Um, you know, their offense has kind of been up and down all year, or yeah. down mostly all year. So the way they played on def- or on offense wasn't terribly surprising. But um, for them to kind of falter on defense was was really surprising, especially considering how the Colts have been playing offensively. Um, you know, but I guess having a new coordinator in there and changing things up i guess maybe that did seem to help a lot and andrew luck had a good game so uh you know even he played the fourth quarter with like a lacerated kidney so i don't know it it was just one of those games it'll be interesting to see how they go for it um but i I really still think that the broncos defense is like legit um yeah but they'll have to go the next couple weeks without some of their key guys you know uh uh, Talib is out with a suspension for poking the dude in yeah. the eye, which was ridiculous. And then um, Demarcus Ware is injured, I think, for a couple of games. Two to back. four weeks for Ware. Yeah, so that's I mean that's going to be a big deal for them, obviously. But I still think they're one of the deepest defenses in the NFL, so they should be able to get by with you know some of their depth there. Yeah, uh, Stephen, you I mean after that Packers game the week before in Week Eight, uh, you looked a little bit at the Denver defense. And it was kind of interesting. One of the things you saw we talked about, we'd mentioned overcoaching the Bills and Rex Ryan a few minutes ago. But that was something that really stood out to me about the piece you wrote, that that uh, Wade Phillips just kind of goes, let his, lets his guys go out there and play. and doesn't try to make the scheme smarter, you know, try to outsmart himself with the scheme or anything. Yeah, he definitely did that against the Packers. Now, against the Colts, I did kind of get the feeling like maybe he tried to do a little too much. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they didn't blitz a whole lot against the Packers. For some odd reason, it seemed that 
seemed like they blitzed a lot more against the coach. And maybe it's because uh, Andrew Luck has had a lot of, of issues against pressure this year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for, one, for once, he actually looked like the Andrew Luck we're used to seeing. Yeah. Uh, I think some of that is he took it upon himself to go ahead and get the ball out of his hands quickly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that always helps, especially if your first read is actually open. Um, but at, at the same token, you know, <laughs> it's a wonder he made it out of that game. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and, that's, and that's what that tells you about that defense. That defense is so ferocious that most quarterbacks wouldn't have even been in there at the end of the game to win the game for them. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm not really all that concerned about the defense. I think Akeem Talib is just a knucklehead, and you're going to have to deal with that from time to time. But he also, you know, can show up in big games. His problem has been getting hurt. So as long as he stays healthy and doesn't pull that hamstring for the umpteen time, I think that defense will be okay. DeMarcus wearing the same thing. He's had injuries, you know, last few seasons anyway, so he should understand how to kind of, you know, uh, get back to where he needs to be to get back on the field. My problem really is with the offense because even though they've been sweltering all year, mm-hmm. the week prior against the Packers, they looked so good. We thought, okay, maybe now they're about to hit their stride. Yeah. Maybe now, you know, everybody's back in sync. They come off the bye week and they're looking so good. And they went right back to being crap, a, a crappy offense, basically. And so <laughs> now you're running out of time. You know, we're at the halfway point and. They still haven't, quote-unquote, gotten on the same page. And so uh, it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds to me like Coach Kubiak was blaming the fact that they're in pistol on some of the, the problems with, like, the running game and stuff, which is interesting because, you know, most people assume that being in a pistol so much is a compromise between the way Kubiak wants to run his offense and Peyton want to be in a shotgun all the yeah. time. So... Is that compromise about to be on shaky ground? Yeah. Because either way, whatever they've done so far hasn't really worked except for in that Packers game. So, uh, you know, at some point, they're going to have to get rolling because it's about to get cold. And we know when it gets cold, Peyton gets pretty much worse Yeah. every yeah. year. So if this offense doesn't get rolling soon, that defense is great. And, you know, it's tops in the league right now. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination can their defense lead that team to a championship. Maybe it'll get them in the playoffs, but it won't, meet, it won't lead them to the promised land, and that's what they're trying to get right now. No, and they have a tough schedule coming up, too. I mean, it's not – I mean, well, they get the Chiefs. I mean, and the Chiefs isn't an easy game for them the way they're playing right now. But it's, it isn't home. It isn't Denver. And it's not – you know, it's Alex Smith. So – it's not quite like week 12, which is Thanksgiving week, where they're playing the Patriots. And then they got the Raiders two weeks after that, which isn't, you know, in the slam dunk it used to be. And then they've got the Steelers in week 15 in Pittsburgh. So there's a winter game on the road in Pittsburgh. That's not really going to be a break from dinner. And then they get the Bengals the week after that on a Monday. So, I mean, it just, it's interesting because that 7-0 start could quickly become, you know, something more like 9-7 and by the time they get through that end-of-the-season schedule that they've got here. Yeah, I, mean, I still think said, they'll get to the playoffs, but... I mean, is their defense going to be able to carry them? That's the question, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're good, but when you have the last-ranked de- offense in the NFL, that's, uh, I mean, that's, 
that's putting a lot on that defense. Well, in two weeks, two weeks in a row, no turnover. Uh, the Packers game and the Colts game, no turnovers for Denver's defense. Now that worked fine against the Packers, but that was a little dicier against the Colts because then you had you know the offense turn it over twice, including uh, they got a pick six too, right? I believe so. No, they got a. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, I, I don't remember a pick six. Manning threw two interceptions. I don't see a pick six, but it's you know you you lose the turnover battle more times than not. You're going to lose the game. I know that's sort of one of the one of the coaching cliches that that folks get to, but it's cliche because it's true. <laughs> too, you know, right. there's like a really strong correlation statistically to that. You know, when they're not, not only are they not scoring points, but when they're giving the opposing offense the ball more, it's just, man, they're just putting so much pressure on that defense to carry them. And, um, you know, I, I really do think they're a great defense, but I don't know if they can, they can do it alone. So Well, and as great as they are, I mean, you can't expect them to go out there and, you know, have three turnovers every week either, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um. Let's see, Danny. You broke down the Titans this week. Tell us about uh, and like, I was reading it and it's like, man, the Titans. Hey, I I can't make fun of these guys as much as I used to. <laughs> so, what do you see with the new Titans? Well, I mean, I I didn't study the Titans' offense really closely all year, obviously, but um, the main thing that's changed over the last couple, like the over the you know the first week with the Mike Malarkey era, is that. You know, they really relied heavily on two and three tight end sets, so they're kind of going heavy on offense a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that gives them the run-pass option where, the, you know, they can line up and, and the same personnel and either run it or pass it, and that kind of helps keep the defense off balance. Obviously, Malarkey has uh, – he was a pro tight end. He, he's a tight end's coach in the pros, and so – that's his area of expertise. And I think that's kind of like what he wants to make the team identity be around kind of like, uh, you know, being tough, physical punch in the mouth with like two or three tight end sets. So they have, they have good tight ends too. I mean, obviously Delaney Walker had a big game. You know, one of the touchdown passes that he had was a total fluke, but that was the one where, uh, you know, Mariota threw it up and two saints defenders kind of like missed it. And it just bounced right to Delaney Walker and he ran and scored a touchdown on it. But, um, the way that they used the tight ends to manipulate the defense later in the game was really pretty cool. And that was like best shown in, in overtime when they were using Mary, uh, Mariota on spread outs and, and kind of giving him the run pass option as a, you know, as the quarterback. And then uh, on that last play, after they had set up the play where they sprint him out to the right and, and he has a whole bunch of options in front of him. They did that a second straight time. They sprinted him out to the right and then they threw it, all the way to the left after kind of like a delayed release by Anthony Fasano. So it was a, it was a really cool way to, you know, end the game and, and obviously kind of fit the whole Mike Malarkey transition to a different identity on offense. So that was a pretty interesting game for them. And it'll be interesting to see if the, the offense improves substantially going forward because it looked like Mariota was pretty comfortable in that. Yeah, and that was really his best game of the season. I mean, he had the second time this year he's thrown four touchdowns and no interceptions. And his rating wasn't as high as it was in week one, but, you know, he threw for 170, about 170 more yards, too. Yeah, and I mean, obviously the Saints defense is the worst in the NFL. <laughs> but, 
so that didn't hurt either, obviously, but you know, um, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting. It'll be, it'll be fun to watch them. And I think, you know, he recognizes, Malarkey recognizes you have to, you have to protect him. I think when I was looking through the, the transcript for his, you know, being announced as the interim coach that came up like three or four times. Cause we were talking about that, like the RG three thing where they ran him out there yeah. and kind of looked uh, like they didn't really care about if he just totally blew up his knee. Like he, he talked about protecting Mariota a lot in that introductory presser. So I think the other thing that kind of having those heavy sets, you know, more often is that you can use a, an extra blocker or two if you want in the, in the past game. And that kind of helps you keep him upright and, and give him a few more seconds to throw. So yeah, I, I liked, I liked what I saw. It was definitely interesting. And then they're kind of switching to Antonio Andrews. They're getting David Cobb back. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be kind of more downhill physical, uh, you know, run game, and, and, and it's not the Bishop Sankey thing anymore. They're, he's pretty much benched at this point, I think. So they got a pretty good offensive line, I think. At least they have, you know, the horses, and, and you know, they've invested in it. So yeah. That's well, kind it was, it was of, definitely know. the most put-together game they've had. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I guess you could go back to that week one game against the Bucks, but, I mean, it was, you know, you got to see Marcus Mariota's talent. You got to see a little bit more cohesive game plan from them. They, they didn't they look as lost as they identity. did in some of those games. Yeah. I mean, like, I couldn't have told you what their identity was, you know, earlier in the year, I don't think. You know, some teams just don't have an identity on offense. Um, and I tend to really like the teams that have a clear identity that they really follow, you know. And so... To me, this looks like a, it looks like a good direction that they're going in, and uh, you know if they can continue to move the ball, be physical, run the ball, you know have balance, I think that'll be really good for Mariota too. So they get the Panthers this week. You guys, anyone, anyone picking the Titans over the Panthers this week? No, I'm not sold that much on them. <laughs> yet, you know, no, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if the. I hope the the. <clears throat> the Nashville Packers Society doesn't show up with a banner. Oh, geez. Or anything like that this week. <laughs> of course, what did it take? Did, was it like, was it, it wasn't even like 12 hours, it was about 12 hours till we found out the people that had that banner that reported Cam Newton to the local authorities and, of course, instantly posted a bunch of racist shit on Facebook. <laughs> of course, yeah. I thought that had to have been a joke, like a really terrible joke, but it was real. Oh yeah! Oh, it was real. It was definitely real. It was uh, those Facebook screenshots were going around pretty quick on uh, on Monday morning. Jeez! It was just like holy shit. <laughs> the best part was like the one one of the the lady that was in the group like instantly turned it into something about disrespecting the troops. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm like uh, yeah, the I don't troops. quite see the connection there, but it's like the Big Lebowski where he's I didn't serve in Vietnam for uh, I don't. There's not a connection here, Walter. Uh. <laughs> a literary one, maybe. Um, you know what? Uh, speaking of the Panthers, I this seems really hard to say, but like there are still a lot of quarters. Of the uh, of the the talkosphere, the NFL talkosphere, where Cam Newton still doesn't get a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean, like I heard, um, I don't want to call anyone out because you know some of the people I hear talk about this are, are decent people; they know their stuff. But like I, you know, you heard people 
talking about, well, Cam Newton, you worry about him because he's not doing this, he's not doing that. It's just like, you know, I mean, I realize he's not Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have to be Peyton Manning, but my God, what else can the guy do to, 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 for just to be accepted as a good quarterback even, even if you don't want to vote for him as MVP? Yeah. I mean, I think it just goes to, like, his stat line. I mean, there's pre-existing narratives about him already, and when you, when you look at his stat line right now, you know, 53% completion, you know, 14 TDs to nine interceptions and 81, you know, quarterback rating. And like, people are talking about him as like an MVP. I think people have a hard time reconciling that just based on the raw stats. Yeah. But, I mean, if you like look at how he's played and if you look at who his weapons are, like, I mean, there was a lot of talk for a long time. Like Andrew Luck didn't have weapons. Like Cam Newton has like, a weapon right now in in Greg Olson and that's it. Yeah, uh, you know his 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 receivers are not you know even remote. They're probably it's probably the worst receiver core in the NFL. I'd say easily. And you know we had talked all off season about how awful their offensive line was going to be and all this. Like they just had a lot of issues going in. And he's led them you know in every game pretty much. Well, it's like we've and we've said this multiple times on this podcast. Ted Ginn is his number one wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. And a guy whose first name, we're not really sure what it is anymore. Well, and Ted Ginn has three catches on 14 targets the last two games. Oh, man. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, you, you look at Cam Newton's completion percentage. In fact, Greg Cosell, I heard, and Greg Cosell's a guy I respect. I always listen, try to listen to what he has to say because it's usually pretty insightful. But, you know, was talking about, it's like you can't discount the running game with Cam Newton because that's a big part of their offense. But, you know, in the same breath, it's also like, well, he's this as a passer, dot, 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 you know what I mean, mm-hmm. with Cam Newton. So here's, so here's the thing. Cam is probably never going to have great statistics, or at least not this season, because of the, the, the cast of characters around him. And let's be honest, every once in a while he'll just duff a throw. You know, a yeah. pretty easy throw. He, he had a touchdown against the Packers, a little quick out. Duff the throw. He just overthrew it. Now, other quarterbacks do it too, but uh, when you have, like you said, Ted Ginn is your number one wide receiver, you really can't afford to miss. You got to give these guys, you know, every opportunity to catch every ball or they just simply aren't going to catch it. You, you really rarely see some kind of outstanding catch by a Panthers receiver this season. Uh, rather than it being put right on them, and then you know it's up to them to actually catch it once once it's in their chest. But we we you see the beautiful throws from him, but he will duff a, a throw here or there. But what it what it comes down to is he gets these somewhat mediocre looking stats, and then people who never actually watch him play figure they can actually critique him as a quarterback, mm-hmm. and it's never going to work. And, and I, I, look, if you don't watch all the games, I, I, I promise you, I understand. Look, most yeah. people are fans of one team, and that's all that they watch. So they're not going to look up the Panthers to watch Cam Newton, even if they are yeah. undefeated, unless they're playing their team. Yeah. But, but the people who are supposed to be analysts and are supposed to watch all these games should know better because the film don't lie. Yeah. Okay. It does not. And if you want to talk about the running game, guess who's a big part of that running game as well? Not only because Cam Newton carries the football, but just like against the Panthers, you see him make a check on like third and six to a running play 
and they get the first down because yeah. he sees something in, in, uh, in the opposing defense. And that is the evolution of his game. There is no actual part of his game that you can break down and say he's weak on except for making the routine throws at times. Everything else, the deep ball, he can make all the throws, the deep outs, all the stuff, the touch passes, and the mental side of it, he, is, he has grown phenomenally from, from his first year in the league. And that year was a record-setting uh, uh, season as well. Yeah. So if you watch the film, anybody who watches this kid play this whole season comes away thinking and knowing he's an MVP candidate. So it, it really kind of separates the wheat from the chef for me when, when somebody who purports to be an analyst doesn't say the same thing. You might not, he might not be your preferred candidate for MVP, or you might have other people hired. But if you say he's not in the MVP race this year, I immediately say that guy doesn't watch film. Yeah. Well, it's, it's his running. It's, it's an essential part of the offense. He's got more, he's averaging nine, over nine carries a game, nine attempts per game right now, which, is a, which would be a career high for him. Yeah, and at one point he had all the rushing touchdowns of anybody on the team. Yeah, and then still the overwhelming majority. I mean, they got. Let me look. I got it right here. Well, Stewart's got three, and Tolbert's got one now. So they've just about matched it. But Cam Newton still leads the team with five of the nine rushing touchdowns. Right. So you know, if you want, well, the running game helps him. Well, guess who who's running the running game, dummy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And that, you know, another kind of amazing thing about this, too, is 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 going into the season, this Panthers offensive line was not well regarded. No. Like, not at all. And even now, I mean, how much better does he make them as yeah. a quarterback? Yeah. Because you totally whiff on the block, and he still finds a way to either complete a pass or get the pass off or even gain yards at times. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't really think uh, – any of these guys has turned into world beaters, the ones who we were worried about uh, in, the, in the preseason. But just like everybody else, he's made Tan Gibb better. He's made that offensive line better as well. Just imagine when he gets Kelvin Benjamin, Kelvin Benjamin back next year. Oh, yeah, I mean, they actually knows. might have something going. The Seahawks played the Panthers last year at one point, a couple points actually, and um, Michael Bennett got through the line a couple times and, like, he escaped a sack. Cam Newton escaped a couple of sacks, and people were, like, kind of complaining about that. And someone asked Michael Bennett about that after the game. He's like, have you ever tried to tackle Cam Newton? <laughs> he's like, it's, really? that is he's not six, hard. That's not easy. I mean, he's 6'6", 260 pounds. He's like bigger than Michael Bennett. <laughs> I was going to say, when you, you say, when you tell me an NFL player is 6'6", 260 pounds, my first thought is, oh, he's probably a linebacker, so, you know. <laughs> At the end, yeah. I did see something funny, though, the other day when, when – uh, Julius Peppers was keeping that ball from Cam. Mm-hmm. That's like the only time I've ever seen Cam look small on a football field. Yeah. <laughs> that tells you how big Julius Peppers is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And they both used to play for the Panthers. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty that was a pretty entertaining moment and that I'll have to say. That game was all kind that game just had all kinds of stuff. You had a good football game, first and foremost. Well, that's the other thing about the Panthers too. I'll just say it. It's they're fun to watch. They're really fun to watch this season. Yeah. They're not fun to watch in that sense that you're going to see them put up, you know, they're going to score six touchdowns. It's going to turn into a fantasy sort of thing every week. But I mean, it's just fun to watch them play like that. And and that's there's something to be said for that. That's underrated. 
I mean, it, you know, I, we get lost in it sometimes because, you know, uh, you know, like guys in our position, we're talking, you know, we talk so much about kind of the nuts and bolts of the game and stuff too. But at the bottom line, it's like, well, you know, we watch this because it's fun. They showed a replay of Cam Newton on like a scramble last week. He gained some like, you know, 10, 15 yards. He's smiling the whole time yeah. while he's running. I mean, it's, it's just, it's hilarious and funny all at the same time. But it, but you're right. It, 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 what it is is that you can tell all of these guys enjoy playing football. Yeah. Like, it, it's not just, and I know some people um, get irritated about Cam doing uh, the, the, all of the celebrations and shit. But here's the thing. Cam Newton is the, by far the most physical quarterback you've ever seen. And so if your thing is, well, he's disrespectful, that's not old school football celebrating <laughs> shit, you ought to love how he actually plays the game of football with, with reckless abandon, finding people to run over. You know, there, there's nobody more physical than Cam Newton, really nobody more blue collar than Cam Newton at the quarterback position in the NFL. So, I, you know, I can understand being confused, like, I really love the way this guy plays, but he just celebrates too much. But it would seem to me that you would understand that, hey, <laughs> this kid is special. It's okay for him to celebrate every now and then. And this celebration is infectious. You know, you see him having fun. You see the defense having fun. Keekley running around having fun. Thomas Davis. Yeah. And, and it is entertaining to watch. Because yeah. you know these guys are really playing for the love of the game. They're not just robots out there collecting a check. They really love this shit. Uh, and, and, and just quite honestly, you can tell when you watch them play that all their players feel the same way. Hi, is there, yeah. I mean, is there a historical comparison to Cam? I mean, I don't like to just straight up compare people. Maybe Dante Culpepper? I don't know. I mean, is there a comparable player, quarterback, to what Cam Newton? But even, even uh, um, Dante, because I played against Dante Culpepper. Yeah. A specimen. But not at all the kind of physical runner that Cam is. Yeah, just fast and stuff like that. But you know, after those first couple of years, he wasn't trying to run nobody over. Or yeah, nothing. like Cam is looking you up every single game. You know, he, he's doing the, the the kiss the rim over the top, jumping into the end zone yeah. with the ball stretch. Nobody's done that before, really. You know, you, you can talk about more athletic guys like uh, Randall Cunningham, but when you talk about somebody who's just that big and physical. And now can make all the throws and, and is putting a lot of touch on his deep ball. I just don't know, uh, uh, especially for this long now, you know, because I know there's some people who have just been waiting for Cam to fall off. Still, you know, continue to progress every single year. Yeah. I just don't think there's a historical comparison with them. No, and no. That, it's hard to find. I, and this is kind of funny. It, it seems like with the Panthers 8 no, I mean, they're almost kind of Cam's almost kind of in his element. You think back to his Auburn. I mean, what that Auburn team was undefeated, right? Yeah, 14, 14 and 0 with Cam. And then somebody was telling me the other day, and I don't know if it's true, I, I don't know how to look it up, but I mean I'm sure I could probably just Google it. But hey, listen, I only got so there's only so much time in the day here. <laughs> but like I guess that he was damn near undefeated in high school. He got he's a winner. <laughs> listen. I think that's true. I think he like won a state championship his, his senior year, and then went you know undefeated uh, at Blair College, at junior college, and then was undefeated at uh, Auburn. Of course, I think that is true. I'm gonna tell you why. Because somebody like a couple of weeks ago sent out the worst take on Cam Newton 
ever <laughs> from before the draft that said that because he never lost, <laughs> he wouldn't know how to deal with losing and he would totally fold up. <laughs> I swear, they actually said that because this kid never lost, he never had to uh, deal with failure and he would, you know, just fold up shop as soon as he placed in adversity. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> I but, love uh, draft takes, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, and it's so funny because it's like that's unfortunately like with Cam. I was thinking about that the other day too. It's just like he's, you know, the the bullshit people were saying about Cam Newton in 2011. Like no matter how much he's disproven, it, it still sticks with it. You know what I mean? That anonymous scout type and and quote unquote draft expert stuff still sticks with the poor guy. Yeah, narratives are so hard to kill. They're like impossible to kill. It's, 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 you know, it's crazy. Um, Hey, speaking of quarterback narratives, (laughs) um, so the Browns and the Steelers play this week. It's, you know, I'll I'll give you, I'll I'll give you the, the, uh, so we talked about a fun football game with the Panthers. The Browns Steelers might not be, if you're just in it for sheer entertainment value, might not necessarily be the game you want to watch during the 1 p.m. slot this week. The 1 p.m. slot is kind of weak this week, I'll have to say. But uh, uh, we don't know who's going to start. Petten's playing it kind of cagey. McCown is officially listed as, as questionable, and he said he knows who the starter's going to be. He just hasn't announced it yet, which, uh, okay. Uh, I'm sure you're uh, really going to fool the Steelers by uh, the Johnny Manziel, Josh McCown thing. But, uh, you know, Stephen, you wrote a pretty extensive breakdown of uh of Johnny Manziel this week and like as I was editing the thing and then I saw some of the stuff on Twitter I was like man I- I'm not even gonna look at Steven's mentions today on Twitter because I know what it's gonna look like right now but uh it's uh give us kind of the overview of your assessment of Johnny Manziel well Here's the thing. Um, uh, you know, I went through it in the post, and, and I tried to make clear that um, the plays that I wrote down of his where I felt like he did something wrong were just the most obvious plays. Right. The ones that nobody could possibly argue against. And so, you know, I, I, I figured inherent in that people would understand that there were a lot more bad plays that just, you know, there's just no use in arguing over them. Right. But it, it kind of felt like, if for the few, for the people that actually did click on the link, they still can't kind of came back with these excuses as if, well, but for these plays, he had a good game. No, he did not. He, he actually had an awful game. Yeah. And here's why. This is what made me even want to write about Johnny Manziel because anybody who's read me knows I don't really write about quarterbacks much at all. Yeah, and it's because you know you got so many people who are crazy on either side. Sometimes <laughs> people want to give up too fast on the quarterback. Some people think somebody who's terrible is great. Whatever. So I try to stay out of there. But he was so bad, and what made it so appalling to me was the game plan was simplified almost to the point of being elementary in order to try to get him some success early and often. And he still couldn't seem to figure it out. So I point out on the first drive, for instance, they give him his first pass of the game. It's supposed to be the easiest throw in football. Little quick 
uh, hands to the slot. I mean, I'm sorry, into the flat. They got they them uh, schemed it up where a guy's gonna be wide open. Duke Johnson's gonna be open in the flat. I think all he's gotta do is step back and throw the football. He's probably made that play a thousand times at practice because that's one of the patent patent go plays as well. You know, you just take your three steps back, throw the quick uh, pass to the flat. For whatever reason, he just stood there staring at this guy wide open in the flat and didn't throw the ball. Then he takes off running the other way and ends up having to throw it away. And the game kind of went that way the whole time after that. Even when he did something good, it wasn't as good as it should have been. Yeah. Like, you know, he hits Duke Johnson on the sideline for a 29-yard game. Duke Johnson was actually open earlier in the route, maybe for a touchdown. Yeah. But you see the 29-yard play and you say, oh, that's a great play by Johnny Manziel, especially because he, he scrambled and threw the ball. But no, actually he gave up probably about a, a, at least another 20 yards on that play because he, just, he didn't just deliver the ball to a guy who was wide open in the middle of the field. Like yeah. it's almost impossible that he didn't see him. And so, you know, again, this is me trying to inform people that he wasn't ready for the mental side of the game against the Bengals. It wasn't physical. It was all mental because he wouldn't pull the trigger. He didn't see people down the field even when he did scramble. And so he, you know, I'm not going to say that they definitely would have won that game, but they definitely should have been a lot more competitive yeah. with what they gave him to you. The, the, you know, the Browns went out of their way to try to scheme him into success, and he still failed. So, you know, and, and like I said in the piece, really and truly, it, we're, it's our fault for not noticing the red flag. Yeah. Right? There was simply no reason for the Browns not to name Johnny Manziel the starter after he won his first start earlier this season. You know, he scored 24 points. He looked pretty good, had some big plays. Everything said, hey, man, they should go ahead and let him be the starter the rest of the season. But they didn't. And that should have been a, a huge red flag to all of us, like, what gives? And what gives is that kid is not ready on the middle side of the game. He's not ready on the details. He's not ready for the most basic plays in their offense and in their playbook. And so I know, you know, there's a lot of Johnny Manziel fans, but you can't read, you can't click on that link and read what I wrote and make an honest argument for him to start the rest of the season. You, right. you really just can't because he played that bad against the Bengals. No, and it's like you said, I mean, right up, right up there in the beginning of it, it's like, you know, he's actually, even when he makes a pause, a play for positive yardage, and you broke that down. I mean, the the twenty six yard passing play is a perfect example of that he is actually costing that offense yardage because he's not making. And I, that was my favorite. I think I saw um, someone on Twitter say, "Well, is Randall Cobb? I guess Rogers is no good because he missed open, wide open Randall Cobb." <laughs> and it, was, it looked like he was one of those assholes that, like, I'm going to respond even though I've only read the headline. Those are the only people that respond. But it became a game for me to see which one of them had actually read the 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 column, which one of them hadn't. And and to be honest, something that has never ever happened to me in the history of being on Twitter actually happened from that. I called a guy out who thought evidently that that one play that we sent out with the tweet was the only play that I was uh, you know complaining about. And, and I called him out and said he definitely didn't read the piece. He actually went ahead and read it, came back, apologized, and said, yep, you're right. <laughs> that has never, ever, ever happened to me on Twitter. And yeah. it was the only time it happened this time. But 
you know, miracles never cease to uh, amaze me, I guess. Peace, peace in the Middle East is next. It really is. I mean, you know, we're going to figure that whole Syria thing out soon or something. Because I, I could have knocked me up with a heaven. The guy was very polite and was like, you know what, you're right. I didn't read it. I just read it. And I agree with you. He ain't ready. This other dude, this other dude listened to me because uh, I actually was on Cleveland radio last evening, uh, finally, uh, to talk about it. And this other guy tweeted me, and he listened to what I said on the radio and thought that my piece went exactly like I, what I said on the radio, definitely didn't read the piece, started complaining about stuff that I didn't even write <laughs> in the cop. And so, you know, it, it was very interesting. It, it was so easy to tell who didn't read my column this time for whatever reason. And it, it was it was eye-opening because all of these complaints are rolling in from people who hadn't even read the piece. <laughs> The internet is a wonderful place. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's you know I it's uh it, it it's always entertaining to see the reaction people and you pick a guy like I mean you you know a guy like Johnny Menzel or anybody that's kind of Cam Newton anybody like that that you know people already have formed their opinions on and they'll be damned oh, if they're right. going to change their opinions on it regardless of the facts. Facts be damned. That's always always sets it up well for. Some uh, entertainment. Um, let's see. You know, another good, uh, another game on the docket this week that's kind of interesting is uh, the Patriots-Giants game. Now, I mean, I'm not, not going to get too over the top about it because, like, we've already heard umpteen how many stories about the 2008, the 2007 Super Bowl, that you know, when the Giants beat the Patriots after the end of that 16-0 season. And I'm not... I'm, you know, maybe I'm being conservative. Not quite ready to uh, to say the Giants are a Super Bowl caliber team just yet. <laughs> but uh, is this just? I mean, you know, is this one of those things where we're going to hype it up and it's just going to be yet another one of those like twenty point Patriots wins? Probably. <laughs> you would you would think so, but you know, here's a question: None of us thought that uh, Deion Lewis was going to be an important cog in this offense this season, right? Yeah. But it turns out he was. And he just tore the ACL last week. So my question is, you know, how big of a cog was he in that offense? Because, uh, you know, it seemed like he scored almost every week. Yeah. And I know they got LeGarrette Blunt, but they don't really have a guy like him or you could just move him around at running back. They used to have Shane Vereen, and he pretty much took over Shane Vereen's role. Uh, uh, Deion Lewis did. Yeah. But who's going to step up and kind of play that role? That That is, to me, the only question here. If they don't miss Deion Lewis at all, it'll be a blowout. And it won't just be because of the offense. Yeah. You know, Tony Jones is leading the league in sacks right now, I think. And so uh, we, pro- we even we probably don't talk enough about – their Patriots defense and the job they're doing. Yeah. But offensively, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say that they won't miss a guy who's been, you know, such an important part of their offense this year, even if, you know, nobody saw it coming. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, he was at least part of the reason why they were putting, all the, putting up all these good numbers to, to, to start the season, and they won't have him anymore. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of cover for that absence. Yeah. 
it's interesting that that the the defense is the the passing defense is really I mean they're yeah top ten in almost every category. Which is a huge surprise considering everything they lost. Yeah, and nine and a half sacks for Chandler Jones. Yeah, and not, last not week all. they were down to what five offensive linemen active. <laughs> Well, they had they had to play the guy that they signed to be the big tight end. Yeah, had a tight end number at right tackle, I think. Yeah, and so that, that now that that is another uh, issue for them because listen, JPP came back last week, kind of quiet statistically, but by the end of the game, he had figured it out. He had figured out how to play without really using his hand much, and it yeah. was kind of you know very eye opening to see it happen in real time. Because he did try to use his hands early, early on in the game. He actually got pancaked a couple of times by the rookie left tackle down here, Donovan Smith. Yeah. But once he figured out that, look, I don't really need to use my hands much. I can run around these guys and still get pressure. Now, it was the only problem. So, look, and I know JPP came out and made some statements this week that he probably may end up to regret talking <laughs> about he's definitely going to get to the quarterback. But, look. With him understanding how to rush now after having done it down here, and I'm not saying that, you know, Donovan Smith is a world beater or what have you, but I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is he just needed to kind of, you know, test it out and see what works and what doesn't. And now that he knows, now that he knows, look, all I have to do is just kind of run around everybody. Uh, it's going to get interesting yeah. as far as you know, getting to the quarterback goes. Brady gets the ball out of his hands pretty quickly most of the time. But if there's nobody open and it's just a four-man rush, uh, like I said, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, he's uh, really starting to get a, he really starting to get a feel for it again. Yeah, pun absolutely. intended. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible pun intended. <laughs> um. Danny, I'm gonna throw it over to you. Any, any games on the schedule this week? You're really uh, tell us a little bit about the Seahawks Cardinals game. I mean, I yeah, that's obviously there. that's obviously the biggest one I think on you know on the schedule. Otherwise, just because it's so big in terms of the NFC West, um, you know, if the Cardinals win, they pretty much control the division at that point. The Seahawks, I think, would have to they'd have to expect some sort of collapse uh, from the Cardinals in order to get there, and so. This is huge for the Seahawks, obviously, but it's also big for the Cardinals because they're trying to kind of, you know, assert themselves as the dominant force in the NFC West as well. So it'll be interesting. It, the Cardinals, are, you know, they've struggled at times. They lost to the Rams. Um, they lost to the Steelers even without Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I don't know how, you still kind of wonder, like, who they are. But um, overall, I mean, they still pass the ball deep really well. They still they're running the ball like a lot better than they than anyone expected. They were the worst running team in the NFL last year, and then Chris Johnson has kind of rejuvenated that. You know, they've got really multiple and exciting players on defense. Tyron Matthew, Deion McCannon. Obviously, they've got a good secondary. Uh, Patrick Peterson. Um, so, I mean, they're just a pretty complete team, and it's going to be a big test for the Seahawks. Now the good news is the Seahawks, like one of their main core identities is they defend the deep ball really well. So that'll be kind of an interesting matchup in terms of like, if, if the Cardinals can't, you know, hit their deep passes, what, like what are they going to do to, mm-hmm. to score points? And so that'll be kind of an interesting thing to watch, I think. And, um, 
to me, uh, the the Seahawks need to figure out what's going on in the red zone and start scoring some touchdowns, or or they're not going to win this game. They're not going to do well in the second half of the year because that's just they've been the worst team in the red zone in the NFL this year. They're twenty nine percent conversion rate in the red zone, and and they haven't gone to the red zone that much either. I think it's only been like seventeen trips to the red zone all year or something like that. So they just need to get that figured out. So those are the those are the big things for me. I think. Um, but it, it, is, it looks like a crucial matchup for, for both teams. Yeah, and I'm just looking back. It was I mean, that Cowboys win was kind of it was it was close. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a little too close for comfort, and that's kind of their way of doing things. Typically, though, it, like if you look back, almost all their games are close. Yeah, they're always ending up like in the fourth quarter, like down to the last drive. Yeah. That- uh, Steven, uh, any games you're looking forward to this week? Well, uh, one that I hope ends up going uh, going off without a hitch is the Minnesota Oakland game. Mm. So mm-hmm. You got the young the young yes. guns, hopefully, uh, and Teddy Bridgewater and, and, and uh, Derek Carr. But we, you know, at our last I checked, Teddy Bridgewater still hadn't been officially cleared to play after the concussion. He suffered on on Sunday against the, the Rams. So uh, I hope that game goes off with, with both of those guys in there. Uh, obviously, I, I still also hope that the, the Vikings err on the side of caution. Uh, you know, if there's any kind of lingering effects, the way Teddy Bridgewater has, has played since he's been uh, drafted, uh, to me says, look, you know, one week isn't worth it. So yeah. if there's any concerns about that, there being any lingering. He practiced in full issues. today. Um, yeah, he, he's been practicing for uh, most of the week, but yeah. he still hasn't been cleared officially. So you just never know, you know, especially nowadays when you got to get that official, I think, third party yeah. uh, 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 clearance. But you know, those are two teams that you know. And I know the, the Raiders lost a really tough one last week to the Fish, to the Steelers, kind of a shootout. But those, you know, the, the, those are the two. I think by far you would say those are the two best quarterbacks from last year's draft. Uh, Blake Bortles is kind of kind of still, you know, feeling his way around. So, uh, and both of them are surrounded by a lot of talent on their teams now as well. Yeah. So. It'll be interesting to see they're playing out in Oakland, which you would think maybe gives the Raiders a little bit of a uh, an advantage. But uh, yeah, it's going to tell you a lot about both teams. You know, are, are the Vikings really a playoff contender this year or not? Yeah, and I, I think we'll find out at the end of the game if both of those teams are at, are at full strength. All right, now the the line is the Raiders by three, but you know, a uh, home team by three—that's pretty close to a pick em. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, they, and they're putting it out there before the announcement on Bridgewater. Exactly. So they, that line may move dramatically if they know for sure that he's playing. Yeah, exactly. And then that, again, that was a tough one to pick this week. I know we do our picks early. So that was a, that was a tough one this week because you didn't know if they were going to have Teddy Bridgewater or not. I think most people picked the, I think the Vikings, I want to say. But I don't know. That's close. That Vikings defense is, I mean, watching that game last week, that Vikings defense is is better than people are really talking about. And they might get Sharif Floyd back this week, too. Yeah. So they could be even better. 
Um, everybody but Joel picked Oakland. Hmm. So, oh yeah. well, there you go. So the home team, <laughs> the home team got it. The home that, team that's, got that's, it. That's exactly what I went with. And plus, you know, at that time we really didn't know yeah, if Taylor was going to be ready. Yeah, he he got knocked completely unconscious against the Rams. Uh, pretty dirty hit, I would say. Uh, so you know, in those situations, you really can't tell whether he's going to be ready or not. But yeah. it looks like he. Well, you had Zimmer saying, oh, there's no doubt he'll play. But, I mean, again, until you're clear, that's not really Mike Zimmer's call to make. Right. You know, it sounds good, though. <laughs> it's interesting that, opinion. you know, you mentioned your opinion of that. And to me, it looked like a cheap shot hit, too. But, uh, you know, it was interesting to hear the kind of the range of opinions. Now, he did, Joyner, LaMarcus Joyner, the, the Rams cornerback that hit Bridgewater on that play, didn't get suspended. But he did end up getting fined about $24,000 for it. Hmm. So the league obviously had some issues with it. Listen, I, obviously as an old defensive lineman, I don't have a, a lot of sympathy for quarterbacks in the first place. <laughs> but when, when you put something in like a slide, that tells everybody, stop. They don't say dive over him in any circumstance. He had plenty of time to not yeah. dive at Bridgewater at all. He decided he was going to dive, even though it was clear he was about to slide. And then he, he put his elbow out yeah. and knocked him out. So, look, I don't care if y'all used to take uh, baths together when you were five years old. Everybody's talking about where well, they know each other's family. Oh, yeah. Who cares? That was a dirty hit. And uh, to, to me, he probably should have been suspended. But, you know, taking his money might have been even worse to begin with because now he's going to be playing for free. Yeah. Well, I guess he won't have – that's less money. I, mean, I guess his winnings from the Greg Williams uh, locker room pool will, will help him pay for that fine this week because um, I'm sure that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it was really – I mean it wasn't as egregious as like that dumb eye poke stunt that Tlaib pulled, but it was still <laughs> – I mean when you see it from the side, I mean it looks like – I mean he does. It gives him the people's elbow as he comes down. Right, absolutely. That's exactly what it looked like. And it just like to me, it had the elbow not been there, I think the gray area is a little bit more so. But man, as soon as you can see, when you see that elbow in that shot, that's to me the dead giveaway. Yeah. And again and again, you're tempting fate regardless. Yeah. You know that the quarterback is about to dive. That's the whole reason why you're diving too. Yeah. You know about to slide. Because otherwise, why would you dive? You're not going to hit him that way. You're not going to try to actually tackle him that way. Yeah. So you're diving, anticipating him sliding. And at that point, you're telling me that you're, you, you're, you are putting yourself in a position to do something like that. Whether you wanted to or not, whether it was involuntary or not, why did you dive in the first place? Because you wanted to get a hit on the quarterback some, some kind of way. There's no other reason to do that. Yeah. It was, uh, and did you see the video of Mike Zimmer? He was mic'd up for that game, and I thought he was gonna fight somebody. I, I mean, he was pretty hot. Zimmer <laughs> cut somebody out, slapped out <laughs> off the sideline, call him a mf. Don't even need to read lips real good to see that one. <laughs> like, uh, he was up now. It's interesting. Too. I mean, he's been, I'll have to say, he's been a, a kind of an underrated coach so far. I mean, this is only, is this, this is just his second year in Minnesota. I mean, that's pretty underrated performance among coaches right now for Mike Zimmer. The Vikings were seven and nine last year, which, 
you know, a team that could have easily been four and twelve last year too. And then you know they got seven wins with a, a, a rookie quarterback that a lot of people wanted to kind of write off in March last year. You know. Yeah, they get overlooked, I think, in the NFC North. And, and understandably so, because the Packers have always been, you know, it's been, it's like the AFC East. It's always kind of the yeah. Packers' division to lose unless Aaron Rodgers is hurt. Right. And now it'll be interesting to see what happens this year because the Packers and the Vikings are both 6-2. and two. Now, I think anybody would say, well, the Packers are a better team than the Vikings, but the last couple of games, I don't know that you you would know that. I mean, you, you look at the Packers, they lost to the Broncos, and they lost... Uh, the first time Aaron Rodgers had consecutive losses since 2012. I know that you can't always pin, I mean, it's not all him you can pin the loss on, right. but it's the first time the Packers have had consecutive losses with Aaron Rodgers starting since 2010. Hmm. Crazy. So that's a team that is going to need to bounce back a little bit this week. But they've got the Lions, so that's uh, probably not going to be a big problem. <laughs> that helps. Uh, let's see, guys. I, I think uh, we covered a lot of it, unless anyone has uh, uh, hot takes on the, uh, <laughs> on the, on the Jaguars-Ravens game coming up this week. Ooh. Uh, no, <laughs> not so much. I, I, is that Jaguars team ever going to get it together? Eh, they're going sort of in the right direction on offense. Got yeah. some good weapons. That passing game's impressive. I mean, yeah. Robinson and, and Hearns and, and Bortles is is putting up the numbers to go with, you know, when you get receivers like that. Yeah. Julius Thomas hasn't really done a whole lot. I know he's been injured, too, but it's starting to look like a, one of those Jared Cook-type situations. <laughs> yeah. But we're coming up on an hour, and it's probably not a good time uh, to get the old Jared Cook rant fired up. So. <laughs> I had to slip something in though, <laughs> for good measure. <laughs> got to get a shot. You got to get your shots in, man. Yeah, I got to deliver the people's elbow when you can. You get the chance. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, gentlemen, it's been a good one, and uh, we will. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we'll let's do it again next week, shall we? Sounds good. Yes, sir.